It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Out to the special guest line we go, brought to you by Smart Rain. It's no mystery. Utah's in extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. Of course, see rights for the athletic. He's our friend, Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Oh, we're good. We're, uh, we spent the week uh, kind of trying to talk to jazz fans about how grumpy they are. Uh, how how sure. grumpy should jazz fans be, Sam? How how troubling was that ending to the season to you? Yeah, pretty grumpy. Um, you know, I mean, anytime you got a number one seed that falls short, that's tough. And then when you have, you know, a, a, you know the lower seed knocking you out when they're not at full health, that's tough, and I understand the Jazz weren't completely either in terms of Donovan dealing with the ankle and Mike Conley having just come back. But by and large, I think any objective viewer would say that the Jazz had more of their core healthy than the Clippers did. So, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a bad loss, and it's progress based on the season before, but, it, but you fall short of what you were hoping to accomplish this year. So, Sam, we study this stuff all the time, but I'm, you know, I'm interested in hearing from your perspective. And you're, you're pretty tied in with the Jazz. You know what's going on here. Uh, what do you think they need that they lack at this point to be able to, you know, nudge toward uh, maybe uh, an opportunity in the NBA Finals? I don't know the answer. Um, Quinn Snyder is a much smarter coach than I am. But, you know, I do – listen, it's pretty tough to see the way it ended – and not fixate on the Rudy Gobert component where yeah, I keep thinking back. I think even on this show, we debated you know, Draymond Green had some comments a while back about how, you know, as a fellow former defensive player of the year, that you're never going to have a situation that you don't want Draymond on the floor for defensively. Little did we know kind of, you know, how prophetic that would be considering Rudy's struggles with the Terrence man game. And, and, but as it relates to coaching, the part that did really hit me was like, man, politically, I get it. You know, you got a guy in Rudy who we've talked about is like, gee, should he be in the MVP conversation? He is a, a you know, just foundational player and part, you know, part of their program. But then you have the old school view in terms of just coaching one-on-one and basketball, where shouldn't matter how much money you make, shouldn't matter what stature you have. If, the opposing team is exploiting something time and again, and you're, you're about to end your season because you can't, you know, you're just, you're just letting them punch you in the face over and over and over again, then should he be on the floor? And, and so that was, I don't have many moments really ever, even as a, somebody who writes about this all the time where I sit there and go, yeah, that was a, that was a mistake. And I do feel like that one was um, because, you know, it felt like I think in the locker room in terms of their dynamics, I could see, Quinn and the staff feeling like, are we going to lose Rudy um, in terms of his spirit if he's on the court during these important moments? But, you know, it's still, it it led to what it led to, and now they're out of the the playoffs. 
Sam, the Jazz, and uh, now, and Mike Conley, too, have to make a decision on if their future is, is going to be together, um, as Mike Conley is a free agent for the first time in his career. But would his um, health be, how big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? I mean, to me, a hamstring, you know, it's going to recover. You know what I mean? It's not, and unless I'm, you know, something I'm not aware of, it's, it's not an ACL, it's not an MCL, it's not Achilles. So, you know, I mean, you have the general question of just his age and, and you get to talk to your sports science people and, and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially project or predict rather, you know, if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? And, you know, that's not a real uh, fun game to play because good luck getting that right. But, you know, I think age is always going to come into play. He's coming off a very good year and, um, you know, conceivably has a lot of leverage on the organization. Although, you know, the fact that it wasn't part of, you know, even a Western Conference Finals team, I think he's away at that leverage a bit. And, and I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for big-time money for Mike. Uh, just based on which teams have money and, you know, all those different factors. So I think you uh, you got to look at it, but, but they're obviously a lot better with him. So, Sam, let me ask you about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And e- each of those guys has gotten just a little bit better every year. Donovan was better this year than he's been before. How much How much more room is there for improvement amongst those guys? Um, I would say, I, mean, I feel like Rudy's playing at his peak, you know, or close to it. He's the one, he's a few years older than Donovan and he's just continued to evolve and develop. And, you know, um, even, I mean, listen, even with the tough moments at the end of that series, he's gotten so much better at trying to, you know, to, to cut into that narrative that he can never be on the floor when the other team is playing small. That was not a good night at the office, but he's had a lot of good nights at the office that are a lot better than the old days. So I, I'm not really sure, you know, how much better Rudy can get, but if you get this guy for the next three, four, five years, that's pretty dang good. Donovan, I think, you know, it's it's crazy to say because of how good he is already. I still see a, a decent amount of room left to grow there because he talks about it. You know, it's it's the well-rounded games where you're, you know, you're not just scoring, you're, you're having more assists hitting the glass more, finding your teammates more. He's trying to be as much that kind of a player as possible. And then the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I can see Donovan, and you know, not only getting better, but just the consistency. Because I think the ankle played a big part, but you saw in the playoffs where it was like, my goodness, he uh, – I mean, I felt like I jinxed him because I tweeted, you know, two games into the Clippers series that he had been the best player in the playoffs. Uh, and then he kind of went the other way. So the consistency wasn't there. But, you know, I think he can still get better. If Kawhi does not return, do the Clippers have a chance against the Suns? Um, doesn't feel like it. I'm literally sitting on the concourse at Staples Center right now. <laughs> and, you know, we'll see. Um, it doesn't feel like it. Yes, you know, Ty Lu has been a master at – you know, figuring out how to come back in series. And obviously it started long before these playoffs, this, you know, Ty Lue with the Cavs and legendarily coming back from three to one against the Warriors. But now you got no Kawhi and now they're getting Chris Paul. 
And not only that, you add in, I mean, who knows what impact this has on Chris's performance, but you've got the reunion component where from a personal standpoint, Chris is going to be very motivated to knock his old Clippers team out of the playoffs in the next two games and maybe even sweep these guys. But, uh, I mean, the Clippers have shown an ability to fight, and, and I know we all get a little too tied up in what happened late on the most recency bias, I guess, and what happened last. But, like, man, the, the Paul George struggle in the last game, I felt like like maybe if, you know, to use the roller coaster analogy, like maybe this roller coaster just kind of came back into the station, you know, with one last dip downwards. Because, I, you know, that's a lot to go through where it's like, man, playoff P is here, and this is the guy who's going to perform every time out in the playoffs, and then lo and behold, you know, he's the other guy uh, struggling. So, Sam, I know you just talked about uh, Chris Paul and uh, his uh, ability to do what he's been able to do with the Suns, but this team got way better way fast. How did they do that? Uh, I mean, Chris, Gordon, Chris Paul is a big part of it. Um, You know, it's funny, and this is to a much lesser degree, but like, Nobody talks about Jay, uh, Jay Crowder all that much. And I really don't think it's a mistake or a coincidence that when Jay Crowder was on the Heat, you know, they had their run and pushed into the finals. Jay Crowder was guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, doing things like that, that, you know, dirty work defensively, finding people offensively, and just being somewhat versatile. So I think Jay Crowder doesn't get enough love. But then, man, these young dudes, I, I can't remember – seeing a, a young group of players with little to no playoff experience coming up so big in this moment. I mean, the other night campaign, my God, this guy was playing in China not that long ago in the G League, and now he's going not only 29-9, and nine, but 29-9 and zero turnovers, which is remarkable. So, um, But, you know, I guess to take it down another layer to your question, what I learned the other night that I thought was so interesting – after game two was that, man, the Chris Paul impact, like he's not even there and this guy's impacting them. You know, campaign, it's one thing to have that cliche narrative of all the veterans help this guy, help that guy. But I was convinced. You hear campaign talk about Chris Paul and how he calls him all the time and they're FaceTiming after the game. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't think this guy's going to play like this if, if he's not vibing with Chris Paul the way that he is. And mm. ditto for DeAndre Aiden. And, I mean, Devin Booker, I'm not taking any credit away from him. I think he would have found his way on his own. But um, they just have a special mix. And I kind of agree with somebody the other night who tweeted out that they felt like the Hawks and the Suns both have uh, a, a kind of a similar Team of Destiny vibe right now where they just are going to ride this thing as far as they can take it. So we'll see what happens. Well, give us your thoughts on the Hawks, Sam. I mean, they're playing out of their minds right now. I have a legit shot to do just what you're talking about. They do, yeah. I mean, they're fun to watch. They keep shocking people. You know what I mean? They, um, Trey Young, I mean, I, you guys tell me, can you remember a first-time playoff performer? Like, Luke has been great, right? But he's also gotten bounced in the first round in his first two playoff performances. Trey out here in the East Finals after a couple of years of, you know, the narrative about empty stats and about how he's not Luka and, you know, and, and how he doesn't play any defense and to play, the guys want to play with him, all these different things where folks essentially were 
finding new and creative ways to say that he wasn't legit. And now, I mean, I, you know, I think he, uh, I tweeted about Donovan the other night. I, now I might even pick Trey as the best player in the playoffs so far. I mean, those numbers you put up last night are, are legendary. Like, you, you don't do that. 48, 11, whatever it was, like, he's been unreal. So that's the, the crux of it. And then you just got a really deep roster that, that you know, I told somebody the other night, it, it feels like a baseball bullpen, meaning, like, offensively, you know, it's like, okay, the middle relievers, you know, Gallinari's not feeling it tonight, so let's go to Lou Williams. All right, that's not working. Let's make sure we have Bogdanovich run the offense and all these options where, with, you know, skill sets that, that give you versatility so that guys can have slumps and have bad nights and you have other options. So, Sam, I want to ask you about a player who was never all that popular around these parts uh, for reasons that go back to a certain rookie of the year race. But Ben Simmons, what's going to happen with him? And Jake's gloating because he said that he uh, noticed right away that he couldn't shoot from the perimeter, and uh, nobody ever listened to him, right, Jake? Well, I just <laughs> thought that was a pretty key component of his game that was missing, yet everybody loved giving him credit. That's all. <laughs> what, do you, what do you make of it, Jake? Jake, you think you're some kind of expert? That's, no, you know, no I, I thought I was taking crazy pills for years. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like a, it's like a, a, a four-hitter in baseball. Ah, so what? He can't hit for power. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. It's funny, in my neck of the woods um, near Sacramento, our Kings beat writer Jason Jones wrote an interesting column the other day saying that he thinks that they should make a move for Ben Simmons. And and it was it was actually illuminative, illuminated kind of for me the idea that, that despite the narrative being so toxic right now, um, Ben Simmons is still a really good player. So it seemed like Sacramento, you know, it's like the defense – the playmaking, um, you know, the versatility, everything beyond the shooting could take a lot of teams to a better place. And so I am actually genuinely curious to see. I think he's going to have some kind of comeback story. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't think it'll be in Philly, but I'm dying to see what the market looks like this offseason for him. But, I mean, that's you know, that's the nice flowery stuff. On the negative side, it's just, yeah, he hasn't fixed the shooting problem. Uh, and he's essentially gotten the yips in the kind of a way that it really hurt his team at the end. And now, clearly, there's a ripple effect on dynamics in the locker room with Joel Embiid seemingly real frustrated. Doc Rivers not exactly providing a lot of cover for Ben in his post-game or post-season comments. And um, you know, today ESPN had a report saying that Ben's agent Rich Paul was talking to. Uh, to you know the Sixers about what might be next, so we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, I do think we're losing sight a little bit of the fact that he's a really, really good player. Um, but but I understand the criticism for sure. I just uh, you know the, the what happened in the fourth quarter. If you can't have a star on the floor in the fourth quarter, I mean you got to evaluate some things, right? And and it even there's there's some kind of jazz connective tissue there too with oh, what yeah, you were talking exactly about. What with, I was say. Yeah, yeah, with with Rudy, and that's man, that's that's a challenge if you're going to invest that kind of money in a player, right? It is because I think when we talked on the show about Draymond's comments, I think I pushed back and didn't agree with him. And, and it's I, I kind of had reached a new point where I was like, dang, I think he's right. You know, like whether it's Rudy, whether it's Ben, you know, I think that's uh, something that it's just impossible to ignore. I think Rudy and Ben are the, the you know, the, the two toughest individual player stories 
so far this postseason. And it is a problem when you know you, you pay a guy twenty plus, thirty plus million dollars, and and then you gotta you gotta tell him to sit down when it matters most. Yep. Well, Sam, thank you very much as always. It's always a pleasure. All right, you got it. Thank you, guys. See you, buddy. That's our friend Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. Everybody's listening to Jake Scott now. They should be. They should always have been. And it's <laughs> nice to have... Uh, they should always have been. Have been. <laughs> hey, those uh, pigeons are coming home over here. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay tuned. We'll have more Big Show coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.